This is 3P Theory, the podcast for AEC professionals seeking to elevate their knowledge on green building strategies and practical design collaboration for sustainable mindsets, bringing you changemakers, innovators, and sustainable leaders who have positively impacted the industry. It's time to get inspired, motivated, and fired up to take action toward a greener planet. Here's your host, Mike Brown. I've worked on a couple projects, like I mentioned before, that have you know, made it halfway through the process or, you know, made it almost to the finish line and, you know, something happened. And it's great to know that there are, you know, consultants or other firms out there to help with that process because I think a lot of the preconceived notions about, you know, the money not being real and so on and so forth are all focused and centered around not having somebody that's qualified or that has experience like you guys have and some of the other consultants out there to be able to walk through that process with ease, Right. Because if you think about, you know, a consulting firm that's trying to do it on their own uh, for the first time, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, new things that, that they come across. And, and it's probably going to be a lot of handholding that I'm sure Encore probably does not do for people that are coming into that, that program. So, I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of that or, or helped, you know, maybe a project that started out badly and you helped pick up on the back end. There are several we've helped and some were not helpable because of uh, little annuances on back again to lighting. The I know the fixture was DLC certified, but the way the factory had their labeling done, it just didn't reflect the same fixture. So Encore is also examined by a third-party company paid by ERCA. So when these third-party examiners come in and check all the records for Encore, if they don't have all the documentation, all the photographs of the labels, the labels didn't match, they don't choose all the projects. They, they pick and choose. Yes, they do a sampling. But if they find uh, issues, then they penalize Encore. So Encore pays. Now that is Encore money. It's not our money. That is Encore money. So they don't want to be penalized for those little nuances, and therefore they're very strict with what the rules are. But again, I think that uh, if you follow the rules, you have no, no problem. That makes sense. So when projects um, start, you know, the early vetting stage and trying to determine whether or not they're eligible, is there kind of a, a I don't want to say an easy button they can press to quickly understand their eligibility or does it take somebody like you guys to come on board or there's some kind of rules of thumb, I guess, if you will, whether it be for new construction or renovations that can help facility managers and clients really say, okay, well, we know this could be a a good candidate. We know we have to do some more calculations to refine it, but we we want to move forward. And I think it it does take some kind of commitment like that too. It does. It does take a commitment like that. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain this, and I'm gonna wear two hats. The Carlos the consultant and Carlos selling uh, the LED lighting package. Okay. <laughs> so on the consultant side, and this is a suggestion for every project you do, and some probably some of your listeners already have measures like this in their contracts, in which states that the fixtures back in the day and still there, all the MEPs put in the put on their comments that all fixtures must be UL certified. So add a, add a paragraph, all fixtures must be DLC certified or, or all fixtures must be DLC or Energy Star certified. certified. 
And that, that takes care of 50% of the problem. And that will force the contractors bidding onto the jobs to make sure that what they're going to put in there is actually certified. That's all it requires. It's, it's not nothing really special. And all companies that I know that I compete against have their fixtures certified. Now, the other thing that they can put in there, this is on the financial side, is that hold them to their word. If they say their their fixtures are certified, how much is that going to be worth in encore money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in some projects, depending on the size of the project and the, and the facility type, in warehouses, sometimes the encore money pays for the light fixtures. In the office space, because the fixtures are more and, and just as expensive as high base, the encore incentive might be 20%. So if they can uh, reach an agreement with the company providing the lighting, whether it's the electrician or the actual manufacturer of the lights, to where they're going to share 50% of the encore incentives, it's, uh, I, I think all that is, it, it can be negotiated and it can be, it, it is negotiable, in my opinion. Now, so that was the consultant. Right. Now, Carlos, the uh, light, lighting package salesman, we can actually guarantee the incentives and deduct it from the lump sum, which is exactly what I just said a minute ago. But in this case, my company has been doing that at least for the last five years. Yeah, because you, you, I think you mentioned one time that, and you may need to, to remind our listeners if you know what the actual threshold is, but once you try to pursue a incentive over a certain dollar amount, you have to have some upfront kind of earnest money, right? And you guys... That, that is, uh, yes. And that, that is, uh, if the incentive goes over $300,000, there is a 5%, I believe it's $300,000, there is a 5% deposit that must be put into the program. And that is nothing, it is not more, but just to prevent people from holding $300,000 without putting blood, without blood on the table. It's just just what it is. But very seldom projects go over that much. And sometimes the projects can also be broken into two pieces. that can be, there is so many ways to skin this cat. Like I said to the listeners, uh, if you just build something and you didn't get any incentives, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even I know we're, we're kind of focusing on encore incentives, but even for other incentives that might be offered outside of the utility program too, the same thing, because and I know it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, state to state. Because, you know, there's state and regional incentives and rebates and things that are federal, especially when it comes to solar. And I know that for solar, you know, they do have kind of a step down approach in terms of the diminishing tax rebates that are associated right. with that. The, you know, and there is a great website. I, I use it every day. It's from the Department of Energy. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'm going to spell it, it's D-S-I-R-E. Mm-hmm. And that is a website that you just select your state. Click on your state and it tells you what incentives. I even think they go up to zip code and they yeah. tell you what municipal incentives there are, what uh, local utilities incentives there are, and what federal incentives apply to the region. And, and most importantly, to the ones that are in the rural areas, there are grants and loans 
for energy efficiency projects. Mm-hmm. It's some specialties for, uh, I guess, agricultural facilities and things of that nature. So. And for small towns, too. If you're in, the rural, in, a, in a zip code that is considered rural by the, by the uh, Department of Census, then they have plenty more options than anybody in, the, in an urban area. It's probably less competitive too, right? That many, that, that many folks out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that um, because, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, resource. And for our listeners, you know, just make sure you put .gov behind that. And don't put .com because something else may come up. You know? <laughs> uh, so oh, yes, yes, yeah, so please. Be careful, be careful with that. The, the, <laughs> yeah, because if you spell it, it says desire and that... That may be, might get you in trouble. dot <laughs> gov d s i r e dot gov for sure. Awesome. Well, um, so I know you guys have been doing this for a couple of years and got a lot of experience in a lot of different project types under your belt. You know, kind of thinking about where JEC stands within this particular market and even in the larger market, because uh, I know you guys also work on projects out down in Houston with Centerpoint as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what makes uh, JEC unique from other installers and contractors with this particular process, whether it's through Encore or Centerpoint and things of that nature? Well, first of all, we're going we're gonna to call it as it is. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I respect greatly the time that the other person on the other side of the table has to give me. And if something is not there, it's just not there. Something we can do, we let them know up front. So there's a very personal, I'm, I am very personal, and you know that, to when running my business. And the cat has four legs, not three. And we're not going to try to find one with three, that's for sure. Secondly, um, our company, and I say our because I have two partners, we import, we control the brands that from the factories that we purchase from. With some of them, we, we private label. With some, we don't. But we know what we are selling. So when we put our company name on a project, that five-year warranty carries a long ways. In addition to that, my two partners are apartment developers. That's their, their past life. So we understand how developers think, what they need, and how they need to proceed. And sometimes developers are trumped by their contractual agreement with the GCs because once the project goes to the GC, the GC takes over the project. Yeah, that's true. They have a budget, and they have uh, they are contracted to carry on the project to satisfy with and, and to satisfy with that budget. So we are able to work with the developers, with the owners, with the tenant, with the GC, with uh, with the MEP, you have seen us do lighting photometric work on behalf of your MEPs. Yes. And there's a lot of, and it's again all uh, personal, but we, we go down one notch and just make sure that every, everything is done the way it should be. Yeah, and, and I have, had, like you mentioned, I have had a chance to work with you on a couple of projects where we did some feasibility studies. And, you know, in, in all those situations, you know, those teams were, were very appreciative of, you know, the collaboration uh, and the work that was done. Because at the end of the day, we're providing information and opportunities for an owner to make a, a, a more informed decision, right? Correct. So we know that every project may not, 
you know, make it there or they actually may, may not pursue it, um, at least for those opportunities, especially where it, make, where it makes sense, right? Which, in my opinion, it makes sense on every, every new construction project, like you mentioned before, with somebody on the table. But, you know, there are some times where people feel like the, the effort may not be worth the money that's, that's captured. And, and so how, do you, how do you guys address that? Well, and, and that is true. Well, first of all, I know that any or every MEP, every architect, when they finish this project, they're going to go to another one. And back to the earlier question, what makes us different? Well, we service our clients, but we don't charge for that. So there is no economic incentive for us to make sure they're going to use our services. We make our money selling lighting packages. So for me, it is better to have a good relationship and be able to go back to the next one and do it right than try to force something on a project. And, and uh, it's less awkward. I have made a lot of friends. I can tell everybody that, that people I do business with, I can go back and shake their hands. I see them at a restaurant. I go say hello. And that to me carries a long ways. That's so, the, so that's, be. yes, that, and that's the way it should be. Not always the way it is with some, right. but this is the way it should be. Yes. Well, like most companies that are kind of in, in, in growth mode and expanding and just advancing, you know, whether it be tools and resources that they provide or that they use in-house and it just grow within their particular markets. What's next on the horizon for JEC? Well, we are. We have launched an initiative internally. We call it Town Central. And what that is, is our humble effort to help small cities. Texas has nearly a thousand cities and municipalities. So we took all the ones that are 50,000 and over out. And we are servicing everybody below that population level. Actually, uh, I was just in a meeting at the uh, city of Lone Oak last night, population 800. One of our largest solar projects for pathway lighting, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, city of Hazlitt, population 1200. We just did a park, a solar park, a uh, solar lighting park for uh, city of Greenville. And there's about 20 cities we have already done solar lighting with. So the next step for us is to be the solar lighting company in Texas. And I think we are, we're gearing up and ready to, to become that within the next 12 months. I've seen it before in person, and it's, it's a great product. That's right. See the face. It makes sense, yeah. It makes sense from an infrastructure standpoint. Uh, not having to run all the conduit. And especially, and I, I love kind of where you're going with this. I don't want to steal your, your, your spotlight, but... I think it's very important that, you know, focusing on this particular demographic or market because these are smaller cities. And, you know, at one point, Dallas was in that same situation, right? Now, granted, it was a long time ago, but it was a long smart, time growth, ago. smart growth is important as these smaller cities start to expand, especially here in the North Texas region. Right. And the trend is let's be healthier, let's eat healthier, let's live healthier. So... All these smaller cities are searching for avenues to build a new park, to build a walking trail. The one you were at is uh, City of Fate, and it's literally right in front of City Hall. And it's a 0.8-mile trail. 
the idea is for not just the City of Faith residents, but also City of Faith employees, uh, lunch hour, just grab a sandwich and then go walk around or have a salad and, and do a little walk around the park. Same for the residents. So because of that trend, that we're specializing on that. Can I extend on that? Yeah. Then on the solar lighting, we have motion sensor solar lighting, which is what you saw uh, at FATE. And we have uh, IoT, Internet of Things, solar lighting. The difference on the two is if you have a park where you're going to celebrate uh, 4th of July, the last thing you want there is to have lights. So you want to be able to turn them off. So we have that capability and that's selling, that's selling great. Back again to City of Lono, they have both. Uh, we're talking to them about actually converting all their street lighting, not just uh, pathway lighting, but street lighting to solar lighting. And they have a small area where they do have IoT uh, control lights. And then for the rest of the city, we're going to do motion sensor uh, solar lighting. I hope I'm not counting my my eggs before they hatch, but but that's what we're talking with them about. And they're very interested. We just had a, a city council meeting just to talk about that, to present that to them last night. And they're very interested on doing it. The other thing that is coming up is lighting as a service. The trend is to be able to have controls on all your lighting so that you can monitor how much power they're using, how many, uh, how long they're on, DMEM, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So to those features, what some companies are doing is now they're charging a monthly fee to provide the lighting. I'm not saying that we're doing that. That is something that we are capable of. And I don't know if we're doing that, but that's one of the trends on what solar lighting is. Then the last thing is going back to Town Central, which is an uh, internet-based service platform for cities which it helps them with the integration with an app called Citizen. It helps them for residents not to have to call the city. If you see a, uh, for instance, with the storms that we just had a month ago, there's so many trees down, the Citizen can just take a picture, upload it, and send it to the city, whatever they belong to, whether it's Richardson, Dallas, or whatever they were at. And that picture goes to public works. When it gets to there, the town central platform takes that and sends it to the appropriate department, in this case, public works, and it creates a work order. So the whole process is uh, simplified and more efficient. Now, we get it that there's many cities that already have all this in place and it's working and they're happy with it. But just imagine, for instance, going to the DMV to get your driver license. You spend a half a day there, <laughs> right? If there was a way to simplify that and to make it more efficient, it would make sense. And it's not that they're not efficient. What happened is that we're probably moving to Dallas about 10,000 people a, a month. Uh, you probably have better statistics than I do, but that's what I remember that there is. There is a reason Dallas Fort Worth is building 25,000 apartments a month. Uh, I mean, a, a year, I'm sorry. And still, we don't have enough housing. Yeah, still a, a deficit. I mean, yeah, there's still a deficit. <laughs> so, so to my point, with all these uh, efficiency measures that we're creating, 
going to these smaller cities, talking with with the uh, city mayor at Lone Oak, he wants to, instead of being 800 population, he wants to go to the 1,000 population. Reason being is uh, cities are benchmarked by the uh, number of people they have, and that's how much money they get from the state of Texas. As, as uh, I don't know exactly how that works, but that's what he wants. So our goal with them is to provide this new automation so that they can serve the extra 20% population with the resources that they existing that they currently have. And we're doing that. And, and we're, so we're not trying to get anybody out of their job because now we're going to have a system that is going to create work orders because that's a fear that many people have. I used to be in the water meter business and that was the first thing everybody thought. Oh, we're going to read the meters wirelessly. So I'm not going to be reading the meters anymore. No, you're going to become a technician to go serve and service those meters. So it's a little bit changing of the mindset, but what we are doing is helping those cities getting prepared for what is coming, which is growth. I see. Has there been any skepticism on kind of the vulnerability that the Internet of Things could have for, you know, somebody that could get access to some of that stuff that we get involved into the wrong hands? Or? Well, it is so new on the lighting that we are doing that we haven't got to that yet. And I'll and I tell you why. And, and this is true. So our first system was made in China. And for the record, all lighting is made in China. And I'm looking at the camera so everybody understands. All lighting is made in China. Same with solar panels. All are made in China, except some that are assembled in the United States. So our IoT system works with a SIM card. And the system that the Chinese sent us was uh, for the Chinese networks. Mm. So we had a heck of a time making it work with our system. So we found one company that actually the system works with. And that's what we've been using for the last uh, year and a half. So this is not something that is just happening. This is something we've been working on in the last year and a half until two months ago that we had a SIM card from another of the carriers and that worked. And actually it's it's the largest one in the nation. So uh, we're happy with that. Then the other hiccup was the frequency they send us all. The, we have two frequencies. One is to communicate through the internet and one for the devices to communicate onto the internet. So the frequency they sent us was an odd frequency. So we had to make them change to the 900 megahertz, which is a free, uh, frequency to answer your question. We haven't even got to that yet because this is so new. And I am excited. I mean, it's I, I am freely speaking about it because it is it, it's just happening, and it doesn't happen with Carlos's company. It's going to happen with John Doe's company somewhere else. You know, it's what the future is bringing us. Is what's happening. What is crazy is, to me, literally crazy, is that device that controls the lights. It's a forty dollar device that has wireless capabilities that can dim the lights. That can that can monitor the energy on the batteries, that can monitor how much uh, voltage we're getting from the solar panel. It's an MPPT system, which controls the maximum uh, point of efficiency on the solar panel, so the battery can store the power better. And for 40 bucks, 
that, that's just crazy. Now that's not the most expensive part of the system. I mean, the solar panel is expensive. The battery, the battery is expensive, but it's happening. It's just here and is and is now. So uh, I know of uh, uh, another company also trying to to do controls and they're doing it on their own way. I don't know what system or what networks they're working on and all that, but but it is happening. So back to your question in regards to security and somebody going to be turning. Uh, I remember, I, I'm sure you remember uh, three, four months ago, somebody turned all the uh, tornado sirens on uh, in the city of Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now that is a system that has been there for years. So I am almost certain that it was a lot simpler to do that. And it is going to be <laughs> hacking onto my lights that are not even working yeah. easily on a, on a U.S. network. But we are there and that's where the future is. It's uh, uh, automation, controls, software, lighting as a service, and all that. The coolest thing of all that is all that is, is easily financed with, uh, we're working with a company called uh, Government Capital. They finance a lot of things for cities already. And their market, their target market is a small city. So when we talked to them, it was like love at first sight kind of thing. <laughs> That's neat. That's neat. Well, it's great to hear about all the uh, the new technologies that are emerging uh, to really help drive uh, energy efficiency and really just capturing a lot of data and being able to use it in an interesting way. I think once we start to merge that with you know artificial intelligence and things of nature, we're probably going to see a whole another level of efficiency that we have never seen before. That because it's going to be able to interpret that information in real time and address those issues uh, in real time. You know, there was a statistic that uh, I mentioned in one of my previous conversations about uh, all the data that's being captured and things of that nature. And 90% of the data uh, that's been captured has been collected in the past two years, just globally. And so you think about the scale and how that's starting to, and that's why you see a lot of these, you know, all these data centers coming on board Yep. online, things of nature, especially with some of the expansion of some of the larger corporations, entities like Amazon and so on and so forth. It's going to be stored in the cloud. A lot of that data is going to be used and, and essentially be able to help inform. And really, when you have the historical data, too, that help inform expansions of new cities and how things work uh, or potentially how they could work to be able to make those systems more efficient and growth more efficient. Right. Well, now... Going back to the lighting, because that's what I'm seeing right now. What I can see with lighting and controls is that, for instance, in a parking garage, you have uh, 20 or 30 lights on a row, one after another. So uh, what, I, what I'm uh, expecting is that the motion sensors will be able to tell whether the person is going that way or this way mm-hmm. and start turning lights on as the person or, or vehicle or object Progress is going that way and turning these lights off. Yep. And, or vice versa, if they're coming this way. Or if, if it stops, then keep the lights on. Little things like that, that I think that, that the better processors on the devices will be able to assess a lot easier. And even if this technology may be already available, it may not be financially attainable yet. So when I mentioned a $40 controller a minute ago, 
it's that. It's the fact that now, instead of having to design a completely new board, you just change a chip. Uh, we, we had a presentation from a guy who makes uh, some of our controls, which actually that part is US made. And he said, oh yeah, let me, let me change it. I'm going to make it Wi-Fi now. And he just took an IC out, put the other IC in, which was already programmed to be on the frequency for the, high, for the Wi-Fi in my office. And boom, our lights were actually Wi-Fi. That was really cool. <laughs> and if you think, I cannot imagine the time that would have taken me 10 years ago to even try to do that. It's just the technology is here and is becoming less and less and less expensive. And the only one thing that we need to, we, and I say we, all of us need to make sure is that there is a reason there are regulations. There is a reason there are licensed or not are unlicensed frequencies. There is a reason we have UL. There's a reason now in the lighting industry, there is DLC. There's a reason there's Energy Star. We have to learn as users of all these products to rely on those measures that are there to help us filter through and weed out all the bad stuff. Yep. You know, I think that's what our job is. Because it is so much new stuff coming in that, you know, when I started doing the, the LED business, I've known about LEDs for almost 20 years. And I've been playing with it for 20 years. But I started selling LEDs in seven years ago. And that was when, as crazy as it sounds, we would put a light feature in a box, tape it up, put a, put a, a temperature probe inside and see how hot the, uh, not inside, but on the, on the heat sinks, oh, yeah. to see how hot it was really getting, to see if the uh, spec sheets from the manufacturer were truthful. Yeah. And we did that over and over and over. And that's how we started recognizing who was lying to us. Because a lot of the product that comes from overseas, the manufacturers will lie to you so that they can make a sale. And if it didn't work, if it, if it fell in a month, go catch him in China. I mean, <laughs> that's what <laughs> it comes down to. That's right. So we used to do that because we were putting, uh, it is very expensive to change high base. So if I was going to put my company name to a five-year warranty project and it's all high base or it's all pole lights where I have to, we have to get a lift to go change a light, it may sound simple, but it's very, it's a thousand dollar proposition sometimes. So what we need to do as engineers, are, are, uh, as doorkeepers for other companies we work or we serve for, is to make sure that we use those standards, those measures that are in place, and we rely on these companies or uh, third-party entities that are there to, to ensure our safety right. and to ensure that our investment is the right investment. That's, I think, what, what we need to do because... We're going to be, we're all going to be flooded with new technology and, and a whole bunch of things that we're not going to have time to check it the way we used to five, 10 years ago. It's great to, again, to see uh, a lot of the opportunities that are out there, uh, not only with newer technologies, but also with some of the incentive programs. And, you know, funding, you could say in some certain situations, is being added to certain programs and, you know, it's vice versa for others, right? So funding could be diminishing. But I think overall, 
for you know any commercial project, whether it be new construction or renovation, uh, has an opportunity to take advantage of some of these, whether it's through Encore or through some other regional or state or federal incentive. Well, we definitely thank you again for joining us today uh, on the show. And uh, I'm definitely going to add a lot of the, the content that we talked about. I know there's probably some, some things that could be put into diagrams and things of nature for our listeners to better uh, visualize. But definitely look forward to having you back again in the future. And uh, I know we're definitely going to be working again on some projects together. So. I'd love to do that too. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 3P Theory with Mike Brown. If you like our show and want to know more, check out buildingiqpodcast.com or please leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Join us next time for more insightful knowledge on high-performance building design.